This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, radio family. Welcome to another weekend edition of Community Focus, extending a good morning to you and thanking you as always for wonderful company every Saturday and Sunday mornings. Here on our intercom stations, I'm Renee Vaughn, not only glad to be back with you, but glad to return to talk about good people who are doing really good things in our communities. The gentleman who joins me this morning is not only the newest member of our community focus family, but he serves in the capacity of executive director of the Red Cross, representing the local Piedmont Triad chapter. So let me first of all say good morning to you, John Hughes. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to us more in depth about the Red Cross. And with that, give us an overview about the history and the heritage of the Red Cross, adding that it's quite a legacy. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the heritage and the early beginnings of the Red Cross is something that really a very few people know about. They, they think of the Red Cross in the standpoint of Clara Barton, uh, and Clara Barton was uh, the founder of the American Red Cross. Mm-hmm. But the Red Cross goes back much further than that. It goes back to the uh, the, the period uh, just uh, uh, in the, the around the American Civil War period of time, uh, and really began as an organization in Geneva, Switzerland. First, after a Swiss businessman, Henri Dunant, uh, witnessed uh, the uh, the devastation and uh, the injury and the death on a battlefield in Italy as he was traveling. And when he went back to Geneva, he pulled together some of his well-to-do Geneva friends and they discussed what they could do. And that was really the beginnings, not only of what became the Red Cross, but also that's why we have the Geneva Conventions. And so at that time, the original uh, formation of the Red Cross that is the group, that is the committee, the International Committee of Red Cross and Red Crescent. Uh, and, and that was a group um, that, that is still today. Uh, their role is uh, to, to monitor uh, the treatment of prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they, uh, throughout history, uh, you know, when uh, the Red Cross visited uh, uh, prison camps and so forth, so forth to check on the, the treatment of prisoners. And that's what that part of the organization did and, and still does today. Uh, but it was, um, later than that, uh, sometime past that time that, uh, Clara Barton visited Switzerland, uh, after her time, uh, where she began first providing aid and comfort on the battlefields during the American civil war. She visited, uh, uh, Europe and learned of this organization and she came back and for several years, uh, she, she worked, uh, with Congress and campaigned herself to try to get the creation of the American Red Cross, because in order for a Red Cross society to exist in a country, uh, the government of that country 
has to agree to abide by the Geneva Conventions. And uh, that's why um, that was that was a long effort on her part. She was she was persistent. And in 1881 is when uh, the American Red Cross was formed. And then many of our many of our chapters around the country then sprang up. Uh, not that many back at that period in time. The organization worked on some major disasters and events in the, the country. There were some very large events that occurred in different parts of the country, such as the Galveston, the great Galveston uh, hurricane that killed thousands of people uh, and some big fires and so forth that occurred in large cities. But then the chapters started springing up, and there was a, a lot of those that formed around the period of 1917. In fact, just this past year, uh, here in uh, in our area, in the Piedmont Triad, and actually across much of North Carolina, we celebrated our 100th anniversary of the um, the chartering of the Red Cross chapters here in, in this area. And I really do appreciate you sharing the history. Now, let me ask you this. Do chapters or are chapters still developed or do they continue? Not develop. What we've what we've done is I would say more than rather than develop, I would say evolved. What I okay. mean by that is uh, that uh, historically, there every anywhere you had a, a community, a town, and a group of community leaders that came together mm-hmm. that saw the need for the organization of Red Cross in their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that group came together and they formed a board and they put forward the necessary paperwork to apply f- to be a chartered chapter of the Red Cross, which had to be approved by the Board of Governors in Washington. Um, But uh, at one time, there were as many as uh, close to 3,000 chapters at one time across the country, because any town, any community could have one. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you may have a a county the size of, uh, let's just take Guilford County as an example, uh, where you've got a couple of good-sized cities with High Point and Greensboro, but you've also got other areas right around here. So, there at one time would have been a Greensboro chapter, a High Point chapter, a Thomasville chapter, a Lexington chapter. So there were multiple chapters all within a, a small geography. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what's happened is uh, through that process of evolving, realize that there's got to be a better business model of how we manage the resources. And so that evolving means that we've limited the number. We've, we've, we've had more in the sense of, I guess, mergers and coming together uh, that realize that our resources can be better used by covering larger geographies. And, of course, access and the ways to get around and ways to communicate are very different today than they were 100 years ago. And you, John, have invested how many years in this organization? Uh, it's been almost, it'll be 36 years in June, actually, for me. That is amazing, and congratulations. Now, I've also learned that you have been to the state of Pennsylvania. I have. I spent 16 years in Northeast Pennsylvania and uh, nine years in upstate New York. And certainly we are very happy that you are currently here in North Carolina and really appreciate what you have given and your commitment to serve our various communities, John. Now let's talk about the mission and the vision of the Red Cross is is still the same, correct? Yes, it is. Well, um, our, 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 our mission is to, uh, to help people. Uh, in times of, of, of uh, to help and prevent, I guess is the best way to put it. I should be able just to rattle it off to you. Uh, that's one of those things that uh, anybody should be able to do that. But essentially, it's to prevent and alleviate human suffering mm-hmm. uh, and in the face of emergencies. Mm-hmm. And we do that by mobilizing the power of volunteers and our donors. Uh, and the thing that I want to say that's important about that 
is that Red Cross could not do what it does as an organization without the volunteers and the donors. And the way I look at it is those are the organization. That's those, all of those people make up the Red Cross. Uh, it requires the people that are putting the financial resources into it because we are entirely a charitable funded organization and what we do in the community every day. Uh, but it's also, we are driven and run by volunteers and to put that in perspective for you, I think the best way I can explain this to people is, uh, to put some numbers around it. And in the area that I cover, the Piedmont triad is an 11 County area, which would be the account 11 County area that most often would be viewed as the Piedmont triad with, mm-hmm. um, the, the center of that being Kernersville, which from my home in Kernersville, I can get just about anywhere in those 11 counties, uh, from Mount Airy being the, the furthest, uh, to the, to the Northwest and, and, uh, Ashboro being the furthest to the Southeast and, and, and Burlington and, and, uh, and Reedsville and, and, uh, and Yadkinville and all, all around that area, the, the, that span of 11 counties. Um, within our humanitarian resource part of the organization that works through the chapter. And I, I want to clarify that that's not the people that are running the blood drives. That's separate. Uh, right. that's a separate part of the organization that, that, that does the blood drives, but just within the, the area that I'm responsible for those 11 counties, there are nine paid employees. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that to put, make it clear that the resources are used certainly very wisely, first of all, very judiciously, but, but it's volunteers who make it work. It's the volunteers who lead our organization as board members, as committee members, as taking leadership roles, even in things like disaster response. Uh, and, uh, and then it's, uh, our volunteers who are delivering on that mission every day. The people that get up in the middle of the night in all kinds of weather mm-hmm. and leave their house to go and help someone else. Mm. It's the volunteers that are doing those things. The people that are taking the calls 24 hours a day to assist our, our military families in crisis. Uh, and, and so many of the things that we're doing to help people in the community every day, it's the volunteers that make that possible. And it's the financial donors that make the, provide the, the, the material resources to make that possible. Thank you very much, John, for sharing particularly how important our volunteers and donors are to our various communities. Without question, there is much compassion in your voice and what you get to do on a daily basis. Thank you again, and thank you, Radio Family. You are listening to the weekend edition of Community Focus, again heard Saturday and Sundays on our intercom stations. I'm Renee Vaughn, joined by, once again, the newest member of our QA family and John Hughes. Again, he is the executive director of the local Piedmont Triad chapter of the Red Cross. And John, in talking about natural disasters, which in our day and time are occurring more so on a frequent basis, please talk about your involvement. We think back to the weekend of Sunday, April 15th, 2018, a date that very likely for those who were directly impacted by this tornado won't soon forget. John, if you can, please talk about your involvement as it was devastating, a devastating situation for both 
Guilford and, and Rockingham counties. It, it certainly was tragic, and uh, it was the biggest disaster, certainly, that we've had in this area in uh, many, many years uh, or, or decades. In, in Red Cross terminology, we, we um, grade disasters uh, or number them based on size, and size meaning uh, how much we anticipate it's going to cost us, uh, to deliver that, you know, what the expense will be in total of all the assistance and everything that we're providing. Um, and in some cases, the numbers of people that are impacted by that. And uh, just our normal daily activity that we do in disaster, and I say normal daily activity, uh, it is responding to, to fires. That's what we're doing on a daily basis in the community. Every day, somewhere pretty much in those 11 counties, somebody is having a fire in their home or their apartment or, or uh, wherever they, they live and, uh, and, and they need our assistance. And so hardly a day goes by that I don't get some report mm-hmm. of a response that we're making within our 11 County area to assist somebody who's had a fire. Well, those are level one disasters generally. And then, uh, then as the numbers, the dollar amounts go up, we move up to a level two and, um, and then uh, the, the span of, of goes up to a level seven. And to help that put that in perspective for you, Hurricane Harvey last year, uh, and for that matter, I would say probably Maria and Irma too, were all level seven disasters. So that's the largest we get. And the first time we ever had a level seven actually was Hurricane um, Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's when we had to add a higher level to, uh, cause the dollar amounts and the costs were getting beyond anything we'd ever done before. Uh, but it, this disaster, this tornado was a level three, uh, for us. And so, uh, that means that, uh, we, our, our expectation is that our total commitment on that, which still, uh, still work is going on, but, uh, somewhere between 160 to $200,000 and, and, uh, and aid and assistance that, that we have provided and will be providing to those, uh, those families locally who have been impacted by that, uh, that disaster, by the, those tornadoes that, that touched down uh, on that, that fateful evening. Um, but just to, to help you understand what's included in that, uh, first thing we do is we open a shelter when we're called upon. And I say we open a shelter because emergency management's responsible for a disaster. And uh, and we collaborate with them. We partner with them. And the emergency management makes the decision on what the need is. And they notify us and say, we need you to open a shelter at X location. And it may be at multiple locations. In this case, it was one location. But but uh, by 8 o'clock on that Sunday night, uh, the 15th of April, when that, uh, that tornado struck Greensboro, we had a shelter open by 8, 8 p.m. for people to go to. And we operated that shelter for, for about the next two weeks. Um, but also with, by the next, um, within by Monday, follow the, the day after, uh, we were getting our feeding operations outside of the shelter into our mobile feeding operations with our emergency response vehicles. And, uh, we were able to do that fairly quickly. We have two vehicles based here in the triad, one based in Greensboro and one based in Winston-Salem. Uh, but then we had our friends from from uh, the west, from Hickory. They drove in with a crew with another truck. So we were able then to have three of those vehicles on the road. Uh, and we did that 
for pretty much most of the next two weeks as well. We're doing that mobile feeding. Uh, we also uh, brought in some box trucks where we were doing distribution of bulk items to people. Uh, so just in terms of feeding total in the shelters as well as all of that mobile feeding, and that's this includes meals as well as just snacks that we would be distributing, uh, we were looking at over 13,000 meals and snacks that were distributed in that, that, that two week period of time. And, um, and as far as bulk items, I'm talking about things such as cleanup supplies, uh, blue tarps, people needed tarps to cover their roofs, the holes in their roofs, um, storage, plastic storage containers, um, uh, rakes, uh, gloves, uh, masks, um, various things that people would need for purposes of cleanup and safety and storage of their belongings. Uh, that we were distributing as well as bottled water. Lots of water was being, being passed out. Uh, so over 2,500 of those types of items, bulk items that were distributed, uh, during that period of time. And, uh, uh, and, and we continue to work with, with those folks. We've, uh, moved from that to the, uh, uh into the recovery phase and, and, uh, where we're working with people on their long-term needs and, uh, uh, and, and together with many other community organizations, as well as organizations from outside the community that come in to help in that. There's a lot of church and faith-based organizations that have uh, disaster uh, types of missions that they work with. And we, we partner closely with, with a lot of them. Um, the Baptist Men is one of those organizations that uh, they go to they go to disasters all over the place and they run soup kitchens. They run, uh, they have cleanups supplies. They, I know they, I say cleanup, I, I should say, uh, uh, uh clean, cleanup and recovery kinds of things where they were in force, certainly in Greensboro, uh, where they were in with their chainsaws and, and cleaning debris and doing that kind of work. Uh, but we work together with them. So on a major disaster, for example, uh, we may provide the, the food to the, to the Baptist men, uh, for them to prepare meals in their kitchen, which in turn goes back into our containers, our, our insulated containers that go on our feeding vans that we then distribute the mobile, the mood, the food out, uh, through our mobile feeding operation. So it's a great partnership. Uh, but I know when I was down in, um, a couple of years ago, down in the West Eastern part of the state following, uh, hurricane Matthew, uh, was there in, in meetings in the early days, uh, of the long-term recovery. And we had, uh, the Lutheran organization was there. The Methodist organization was there. Um, and the Catholics organization, the various organizations that come in and do disaster recovery work and everybody has their own niche. Uh, like I said, some provi provide food, some provide cleanup, some provide, uh, construction. Uh, the Mennonites are really good at that. They're, they're master builders. And uh, so there's different, different faith-based organizations that are critical in this. And I know here also in the recovery area, uh, Samaritan's Purse was in doing their work as well. Several groups coming together. With that, did you see any participation from many corporations wanting to help where possible? There was tremendous participation. It's it's hard it's hard to really uh, uh, even explain it, but but it's just that uh, the 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 goodness in people's hearts at that time that come out wanting to help their neighbors, wanting to help their fellow man. And, uh, we saw that in, in a huge way We're we're, in other words, it was the kind of thing where people are going just to help somebody clean up, 
Mm-hmm. They're taking people food. But what was pretty amazing in the early days was just where there were just these pop-up uh, places where people would just take their grills out. Oh. Or if somebody that had a, a big trailer or like a big barbecue trailer, where they would just park at a, in, a, in a parking lot somewhere or at, a, at an intersect, major intersection in the affected area and start preparing meals. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so in the early days, there was certainly no shortage of of that kind of caring and compassion going on. The hard part in a disaster, a big disaster is staying the course mm-hmm. and uh, everybody wants to help, but that wears thin fairly quickly. And when something, when the people that are impacted by the disaster, it's not something that's over quickly. It it's, it's weeks and sometimes months. And, uh, and, and that sustained, uh, care and support is what's important, but, all of it is certainly most appreciated by all those who are benefiting from it. Just as you mentioned earlier, it really is all about neighbor helping neighbor, and not just in a physical capacity, which brings to discussing how persons donating with the financial resources that are available, how can someone help in this facet? Well, I appreciate that question, and uh, I would say that there are two primary ways that people can help. Donations are always appreciated. Uh, and uh, we can't deliver our mission without the financial support. And we are entirely supported by charitable dollars. So whether that's from individuals, corporations, foundations, whatever that may be, uh, it's that's, that's necessary for us to do our work. And so people can always make that donation. They can do that online. They can do that at calling an 800 Red Cross number. They can they can send a check to our local office. There's just many ways they can make that donation. And talk about dollars going back to the community. Now, John, share with our listeners the number of phone apps that are currently available. Uh, yes, that is something that we've had in place now, probably been uh, seven, eight years or more now that we first started with apps. And the first one was a first aid app. And, uh, and it's, it's one you could download onto your phone and it, and you can look up like, what do you do for a bee sting, for example? Um, uh, and, um, uh, I always was a little, uh, I, I don't know. I, I was uh, always a little, uh, thought that it was odd that you would have an app for something like, um, uh, let's just say CPR as an example. Hopefully you already know how to do it because when you need that skill, uh, you don't want to have to look it up on your phone and figure it out because all those seconds are are, are priceless to that person who needs that. So we would encourage people to get the CPR training and the first aid training as well. But the app is nice to have. But that's how it started. And then it grew from there to just many different apps. And the ones today that are just uh, have a tremendous uh, benefit, uh, one that was benefit beneficial to some people in the event we just talked about back in uh, April with the tornado, is one of the uh, one is for storms and tornadoes. It's a warning, and you can have an audible warning turned on on that app. And if there is a a, a tornado or some something of that nature that's close to you, uh, that app will go off and alert you. And it's usually prior to any other alerts going off. Uh, I I I can attest to that personally. When a few years ago. I was actually in a meeting, a morning meeting in, in Reedsville, uh, at a, at a, uh, business in downtown. And as I was leaving that meeting, uh, the app on my phone went off, uh, 
telling me that there was a, uh, a it was a tornado warning, in which the radio my radio car radio then had was interrupted the 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 program to tell me that uh, they were they were saying that something had been spotted a, a cloud and a funnel and so forth and where to go where to st- what to avoid and those kinds of things and. And so there were all those warnings there that were happening, and uh, and I was glad to know that that system worked. And uh, we have testimonials from people that say their lives have been saved because mm-hmm. of those apps. Uh, but uh, there, there, most all of all the apps that I've spoken about are free. Um, what to do? I mean, there's a one for shelters, where to go find a shelter. Uh, a safe and well app to let family and friends know that that if you've been in a disaster that you're you're okay um, and then there's one app that has a small cost to it but it's the only one that does and it's one that's also been very popular and that is pet first aid mm-hmm. so that people know how to take care of their pets mm-hmm. well radio family as usually is the case when engaging in great conversation with members of our community focus family time as a way of slipping away from us. But before we do bring this weekend edition of Community Focus to a close, we only talked about some of the ways in which the Red Cross serves our various communities. If you should need additional information, you can certainly visit redcross.org. In the meantime, I want to say thanks once again to the newest member of our Community Focus family and you, Mr. John Hughes, serving as the executive director of the Red Cross of the local Piedmont Triad chapter. Thank you very much for your time spent with us here on the program. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. You are more than welcome, sir. And Radio Family, of course, I thank you for the good things that you are continuing to do in our communities as well. Please keep up the great work. Thank you for your time and your wonderful company as we do bring another weekend edition of Community Focus to a close. But not before sharing, as I like to do, in saying, please enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of this weekend. No goodbyes. Just until next time. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.